to Exodus chapter 20 again. Exodus chapter 20, around page 61 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you. As you're turning there, I want to tell you that we're going to end the service just a bit differently. At the end of the sermon, I will pray. That's not different. And then we will stand after that, and we will sing the doxology to close our service together in praise for being able to hear God's Word and praise for all He has done and will do. So we will sing, and I will actually not stand, stay here. As we begin singing, I'm going to make my way out here so that I can… Those of you who are sprinters at the end of a service, I'm going to be out there to trip you. No, I'm not. I'm going to be out there. I would love to greet you and to see you uh, as you go out. And I know I don't get to see as many of you uh, personally as I would like on a Sunday morning. So we will sing the doxology, and then uh, I'm going to make my way out as we do that. And we will sing the amen at the end, so just so you know. You are the choir, so you have to carry it, all right? Exodus 20, what I want to do is read uh, verses 1 to 17, and then we'll pray briefly and begin. This is what the Spirit says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's briefly ask for the Lord's help. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. Through your word and your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, throughout the Bible, God's purpose for his people is clear. He wants His people to be holy, to be set apart, to be peculiar, to be different. 
We're, those who are God's people are to think differently. They are to speak differently. They are to love differently. They are to act differently. We're to be a different kind of friend, a different kind of spouse, a different kind of parent, a different kind of neighbor, a different kind of employee, a different kind of boss. Just a chapter earlier, in chapter 19, verse 6, God says to His people, "'You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation.'" And in a sense, what we have in the Ten Commandments are ten foundational marks of that holiness, of ways of relating to God and ways of relating to one another that set us apart. So in these, God is saying, I have rescued you from Egypt to be my people. And this is what it means to live as my people. And this holiness of life is to extend into all areas of life, even into the area of life, of, of work, and rest. Today we come to the fourth commandment. It is the longest. It has the most words in it. Uh, and other than the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, this one seems to come up more than any others in the life of Israel because they don't keep Sabbath. And then the whole issue of the set, that, that the land shall rest, that there shall be a Sabbath year, that is problematic. In fact, God sends them into exile and tells them, oh, the land will have the rest that it should have had all along. And then even when they come back, they struggle with this particular commandment. And so God sets for His people a rhythm of work and rest that's to be distinct from the world around them. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this is the kind of text where it seems important to make something clear right up front, which is this. I am going to do all that I can to preach this text faithfully and to bring it to bear on our lives. But I want you to know that in all of it, I have none of you in particular in mind. This is the kind of text where people think, oh, he knows this, he knows that, and he's saying this because of that. Well, that's just not… you're giving me way too much credit for knowing so much about you, first of all. Uh, but secondly, uh, I just trust that as, I, as we preach the Word of God, the Lord deals with each of us. He brings His Word to bear, and He actually applies it in our lives. So, I just want to say that as we begin, because this seems to be a, a text where it is particularly tempting to think, I'm going to talk to him after the service. How dare he? Da, 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 you know. Well, I dare every week, so we'll just get on with it, okay? Uh, but let's think, about, let's think about first the content of this command. What is it that is the substance of the command? The, the Sabbath, that word Sabbath, uh, is related to a Hebrew verb that means to stop, cease, quit. And so as God is saying, remember the Sabbath, He's saying that there is a day of the week when the ordinary routine of work must come to a stop. It's establishing a rhythm of work and rest. And actually, if you think about it in terms of a week, it would be work work, 
work, work, work, work, rest. Work, 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 rest. That's the rhythm that God is establishing. And because you see that the call to work is actually embedded in the call to rest. The two can't be separated. He says in verse uh, 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. Work brings the need to rest. Rest energizes us to work. You see, because both work and rest are good in God's eyes. Now, we have no problem thinking rest is a good idea, do we? Nobody has to convince us of that. We know that. Rest is quite a good thing. But work, well, that's just a necessary evil, isn't it? Well, not according to the Bible. You see, from the beginning, God set down His people with the purpose of work. In Genesis 2, the Bible tells us that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The keeping is a guarding. The working is actually the same word here as doing labor. He's to work. Now, sin obviously brings hardship to work, doesn't it? Couldn't we just have a little testimony service with a, with a microphone up here and everybody talks about how work is completely messed up in a, in, in a, in a sin-cursed world? Absolutely. But work itself is actually good. And actually, Christians of all people should be fighting to remember this because this is what God has told us. And so God gives this weekly rhythm of work and rest. Now, it's easy to get this kind of thing wrong. The Pharisees did in Jesus' day. They had, all, they had 24 chapters in the Talmud to lay out exactly what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And they, quite, they got quite angry when Jesus would break their rules about the Sabbath. But ultimately, Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift to humanity. Rest is a gift to humanity. The work of the routine of work comes to an end and you rest. But also, don't be fooled into thinking that what rest means is complete inactivity or, or laziness or self-absorption. That that day's just all about me. Rest is just all about me. No, I mean, in real life, in that life, animals still had to be fed. Our families still need to be fed. Diapers still need to be changed. The tire that pops on the way home needs to be changed. Urgent repairs may pop up. Acts of mercy still take place, but the regular routine stops. In fact, it's interesting uh, that in this notion of rest, uh, it's written that basically what would happen, they would say, it was said something like this, that if a, if a wall fell on someone, that here's the rule. You only remove enough rubble to see if they'll make it to the next day. And if they will, you leave them because it's the Sabbath and you're going to come back to them later. There was one time in Luke chapter 14 where uh, uh, the, the synagogue ruler actually says to the people who are there, this is after Jesus is healed, says, look, there are six days for healing. Come on one of those days. 
This is the Sabbath. This is not how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to think, well, the Sabbath is basically like a, a taskmaster to tell us what we can and cannot do. And we're also not to think, well, I, it's just all about me. We can get it wrong so often. But, I mean, God has established this pattern of work and rest. And what's amazing is that this weekly rhythm is for everybody. Did you notice that as we read? Look at verse 10. It says, on it you shall not work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, but that is huge in that culture. In the ancient Near East, you don't give a servant a day off. They do what you want them to do every single day. And you don't treat sojourners, those who are not from your country, the foreigner. You're not to treat, you don't treat them like you treat your own people. But God says this is for everybody. This is something that was instituted at creation for all of mankind. It's a glorious gift. Now, of course, there's a daily rhythm of work and rest, right? We work. At the end of a day, we work. And then we rest. My mom actually works harder than most people that I know. She's up early, she gets going, she works, uh, she, she works all day. She goes and works at a job that she's already retired from. And then uh, she works to care for various family members. Who, she works to take care of neighbors. She works to take care of friends. She works in running a soccer league. I mean, she runs like these 100-mile races, so she's still a lunatic, basically. So, but she just works really, really hard. And then she comes home and she works hard in her home to keep it clean and to keep it organized. And she does all of these things. She is like the Tasmanian devil. She spins and she spins and she spins. And then about nine o'clock, she sits down. And it, it, it only takes a half hour sitting there before her eyes do what they are longing to do, <laughs> close. Nobody has to tell us to sleep. Our bodies will eventually just shut down if we ignore it, right? It's just built into us. But this weekly business, this has to be more intentional. You have to actually think about it. You have to plan for it. You have to work hard in six days so that you can rest in one. Now, to be honest, many people are skeptical of this kind of thing. Some, because what they'd like the pattern to be, because what they think, because of our culture, this is what the pattern really is. Work, 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 just every day. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And then there are others who think the pattern should be rest, 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 work, rest, rest. Work, rest, 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 rest. Work, rest. You see, we actually live in a society of both workaholics and restaholics, don't we? Some people don't want to be told that they need to stop. And some people don't want to be told that they need to work. And believe me when I say this is not a merely generational thing. This is a human thing. Some people in this room fit in one of those two categories. You're prone to work without resting. Or you're maybe you're more prone to rest without working. And this weekly rhythm actually confronts both groups. 
But there's more to the command than work and rest. Notice in verse 10, or yeah, verse 10, God says the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. This day isn't just about rest. That's why it's not about us. It's ultimately about the Lord. And we already saw this back in chapter 16. There was this whole business of how to gather manna. And on the sixth day, the people were to gather double the manna so that on the seventh they could rest. And there, Moses tells them that this is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Solemn rest. Those are two good words to describe this Sabbath. It is rest from work. It is solemn to the Lord. So when God establishes Israel, He gives them this commandment to mark off a day for rest and worship. Now, really, every day is a day of worship. All of life is lived toward God, but this is a peculiar day, peculiar in part because there should be gathered worship. And in the mind of God, this is serious business. When it comes to rest, do you know what the penalty for working on the Sabbath was? Death. In Jeremiah 17, God says, if they will keep the Sabbath, they will be blessing, but if they break, but he threatens punishment if they won't. In Isaiah 58, God says, if they will stop using the Sabbath for their own purposes and instead use them for his, blessing will return. And when it comes to worship, in Leviticus 23, there's this whole list of, of times when people were required to gather, what they called, what were called holy convocations. And first in that list is the Sabbath. And then in Leviticus uh, chapter, no, Numbers chapter 28, there, was, there is a special burnt offering that is to be made on the Sabbath. Leviticus 24, the priests are to bring on the Sabbath 12 new loaves of bread to put in the tabernacle as a constant reminder of God's provision for them. And then when the New Testament opens, this rhythm is still there. People are still gathering in the synagogue on the Sabbath. They are still resting. Yes, the Pharisees go way out of bounds. They go overboard. They put rules upon rules upon rules upon rules to try to guard the commandment. But it's still there. All the way up to the last time we see it observed as the seventh day is the day before Jesus is raised from the dead. In Luke 23, it says that the women prepared their spices and then they rested to observe the Sabbath and obey the commandment. The Sabbath is God's command for rest and for worship. Now, what is the goal of the command? The goal of the command. What's well, right there in verse 8, isn't it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Why keep it holy? Well, look down at the end of verse 11. Keep it holy because God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Don't take something that God made holy and profane it. 
They are not to do that with this command. So what does that mean then? What does it mean for a day to be a holy day? Well, it means just like a holy person, it's to be a different kind of day, a unique kind of day. This, this kind of rest and this kind of gathered worship doesn't happen every day. It's just not to be a day for business as usual. But as we start to think about all this and we think about this goal and we think about the content, we need to ask the question right now, what, what does it actually mean for us to keep a day holy? What does that mean? Because there are some unique features to the Sabbath in ancient Israel. There are actually three components to it. First, it is really a civic command. This was something for all of society. The economy shut down on the Sabbath. Uh, Trey Ochen, uh, who's one of the pastors over at Heather Hills, just got back from Israel recently. He's on sabbatical, and he went to Israel as part of that sabbatical. And um, he came back, and he said that on the Saturday that they were there, they had to go out of their way and really search for a place where they could eat. Because even today... This kind of thing still happens in Israel. But secondly, there's a ceremonial component. I've already mentioned that. There's a particular sacrifice that happens on that day. There's the bread of the presence being, uh, uh, being put together, being put out again, that kind of thing. So there is a ritualistic aspect to the Sabbath, but then it's moral as well. This remember is the same as every other commandment, which is it is written in the singular, not in the plural. God is not just giving a command for the society. He's saying every single individual is responsible for remembering the Sabbath and for keeping it holy. Now, when we start to think that way, when we start to think civic and ceremonial and moral, then we can actually begin to think more clearly about it. Because when it comes to the civic command, God has not made the church into a nation. We do not have laws and, 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 and police it. We, we don't do that. This is not, so this is not a bit that is applicable to us, the whole society shutting down. The second, the ceremonial, when you get to the New Testament, it becomes very clear that the ceremonial aspect of the Sabbath has certainly been done away with. There were some who were saying that you had to hold on to certain Jewish practices, these ceremonial type things, in order to be a real Christian. And Paul says to them, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All that's pictured in the ceremonies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. And then some will say, well, there you go. Jesus fulfilled the law. Isn't that all you needed to know? Jesus fulfilled the law. So you're not going to say anything else, are you? You're not going to start talking about rest and worship in my life, are you? Well, actually, yes, I will. I'll just keep going. And here's why. Jesus also fulfilled the law when it comes to idolatry and making carved images. Does that mean that we just ought to do whatever we want to when it comes to idolatry? Jesus also fulfilled the law when it comes to not using the name of the Lord your God in vain. Does that mean it doesn't matter for us? Jesus fulfilled the law when it comes to adultery. Does that mean we're free to do whatever we want in that arena? 
No, this is unique in that there are other components to it, but there's still a moral obligation here. It would be very odd, wouldn't it, for all of us who just say, we need to hang the Ten Commandments in uh, this place and that place and the other place because society needs it. But we don't actually have to worry about the Fourth Commandment. So maybe we just hang the Nine Commandments. Let's just hang the Nine Commandments up in the State House and in the courthouse. And I'll just take my uh, Sharpie marker, and on that painting on my wall, I'm just going to mark right through the fourth commandment. Actually, I don't think so. I don't think it is ceremonial. I don't think it's a civic duty. But I think there still is moral thrust here. This commandment still matters. It is not the same, but it matters. The reality is, apart from this, is that not resting is actually bad for your body, and not worshiping is bad for your soul. We need both. The Lord has prescribed both in this command, and we should do both. Now, ideally, these will happen on the same day. Ideally, one day in seven, the routine of work will stop. And on that day, rest and worship will be the theme of the day, a day, a full day that looks different than any other six. Now, are there seasons when rest and worship may need to happen on separate days? Sure. I mean, but here's the thing. I don't actually think we should settle for that. I think it's wiser to work toward one day in which we do both. Now, in the New Testament, the the day on which the people of God gather and worship shifts from the seventh day to the Lord's day. In much the same way that we memorialize the Lord's death through the Lord's Supper, every week we memorialize the Lord's resurrection through the Lord's day by coming together and worshiping on this day. But beware, because Sunday is not to be made into some kind of new Sabbath with its ceremonial laws and its civic duties and these kinds of things. It's not the same, but it is the day that is set apart in the church for gathered worship. Now, I need you to hear me. The details of these things might be very individual, okay? And they need to be matters of prayer and wisdom for you and for your family. But the big question is, am I concerned to obey the fourth commandment? Am I concerned to do this? Am I concerned to rest from work on a day a week? Now, technology has made this increasingly difficult, hasn't it? Because... The people you work for, the people who work for you, the people you serve, they expect you to be on call 24-7, that emails will be responded to in less than 12 hours, and texts in less than 12 minutes, 12 seconds if you're really good, as if we just all sit around and stare at our phone and wait for the next thing to come in so that we can answer it. 
Technology makes it very difficult, but the question is, are you resting? Not just are you resting at night, though that is an important question, but are you resting weekly? Are you maintaining a rhythm of work and rest that God believes is good and says is good for His people and commands in the Sabbath law? Are you gathering for worship? Now, obviously, the answer for today is yes, isn't it? You're all here. But here's the question. The heart, is, the heart of this is, is gathering for worship a priority in your life? Is the gathered worship of God's people prioritized on your calendar, in your life? Not, well, it can easily be set aside. You know, something may come up where I need to do X, Y, or Z. Again, technology has not been helpful in this, is it? Because uh, live streams are wonderful for shut-ins. They're wonderful for the sick. They're wonderful for those of us who are on vacation and can't find a church to actually gather in that would preach the gospel. But I'm concerned, and actually it's more than a concern, but I'll just say it that way. I'm concerned about how easy a live stream makes it for us to not gather to not be here, to avoid fellowship, to avoid serving. God hasn't ordained that each Christian ought to hear sermons every week. You understand? God has actually ordained that we gather every week. Because no matter how high def your TV is, You won't ever achieve the encouragement of being in the same room singing with God's people, God's praise. And no matter how good you are at taking notes, there's something unique about being there when the Word of God is preached. It is mystical. It is mysterious. I don't have some kind of formula to tell you. I can just tell you that every generation and all of you who are nodding your heads are agreeing. Because you know. If you know, you know. But I'm also concerned, not just about technology, I'm also concerned about how easy it is for other things to take priority on the Lord's Day. You know, a work deadline or, or a, a, a school assignment or a, a visit from out-of-town relatives or the advantage of getting on the road early for vacation. I'm just concerned about these things. But the heart of it all is, am I resting? Am I worshiping together with others? Is it, am I setting apart that time each week for rest and worship? Am I doing it on purpose? Am I doing it regularly? Is there a day that is peculiar in my week that, we could, that I could say is holy among the other days? Because that's the goal. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now, lastly, the glory of the command. The glory of the command. There is a peculiar glory in this fourth commandment. And it comes when God tells us why we ought to do these things. So look at verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Why are we to remember? Why are we to work six days and rest one? Because God in creation worked six days and rested one. And God didn't rest because He needed a break. In fact, some bits of God's work did not come to an end. He still held the whole universe together by the power of His Word. If He didn't, the whole thing will have fallen apart. But the work of creation ceased. He stopped. He didn't do it because He was tired. He didn't do it because He was weary. God never gets tired. God never grows weary. God never slumbers or sleeps. He did it to bless the day and to set the pattern. And so in keeping Sabbath, in taking one day and setting it apart as holy, we actually remember that He is the Creator and we are the creatures. He is the one who is infinite, and we are the ones who are finite. And if we actually just take a moment to think about all that is said in Genesis chapter 1, it makes our to-do list from the last week look pretty pitiful, doesn't it? It just reminds us of actually where we are. And this kind of rest actually humbles us. Do you know why? Because do you know what happens on the day that you and I are resting? The world keeps spinning. The Word of God keeps going. The work of God keeps happening. The universe doesn't fall apart because you didn't work today. How easy it is to think otherwise. But also it humbles us because it reminds us that we need rest. That's a prayer that I often pray at the very end of the day just before I drift off into semi-consciousness. I just will often just in my own mind, in my own heart, say, Lord, I have to rest, and you don't. And I'm thankful for that. Eugene Peterson wrote that if we do not quit work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. Pride and fear of man are two sides of the same reason that we would refuse to rest. But also, there's another reason for the Sabbath, and it actually comes later. You can turn there maybe this afternoon, but it comes in Deuteronomy 5. This command is repeated, the command to observe the Sabbath, the command that it's for everybody. And then we read, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because of that, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Israel should keep the Sabbath not only in light of what God has done in creation, but also in light of what God has done in redemption. You see, in Egypt, there were no days off. There were no breaks. There was only hard work seven days a week with unreasonable quotas and unreachable quotas and hard and cruel taskmasters. But now God's brought them out. God has set them free, free from the oppression of Egypt, free from being driven into the ground, free from being treated as tools rather than as people. Now they can rest. Rest in what He has done for them. 
Rest on that day a week and worship and remember the God who set them free. Remember the God who saved them. Remember the God who rescued them. Remember the God who redeemed them. Remember the God who gave them rest. You see, remembering our Creator by resting. We remember our Creator by resting. We remember our Redeemer in worship. That's what obedience to the fourth command brings. Glory to God as Creator. Glory to God as Redeemer. See, the rhythm of work and rest is the rhythm of life. It was the rhythm of Jesus' life. First and foremost, because He never broke Sabbath. He worked six days, and He rested, and He worshiped. But ultimately, if we think about it, His whole life is a picture of the rhythm of work and rest, isn't it? Jesus was sent to do something. Jesus was sent to work. This is what He wanted to do. He told His disciples that His food was to do the will of Him who sent me and accomplish His work. And there wasn't one bit of work that Jesus failed to do. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't negligent. There are no unchecked items on Jesus' to-do list. He did all the Father gave Him to do. And He says as much as He prays before He goes to the cross. In John 17, He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave Me to do. And then the climax of His work on earth comes as He is beaten and bloodied and crucified for us. As He dies on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to take the condemnation we deserve and in its place give us forgiveness, give us hope, give us joy, give us peace with God. And as He hung on the cross, do you remember what He said? It is finished. What is finished? The work. The work of redemption, the work of reconciling God and man, the work that God had sent him to do, and the fact that it is finished, that fact was publicly verified three days later as Jesus rose from the dead. And this Jesus says to you and to me, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus has done all the work so that we can rest. And the only... See, here's the thing. Israel never entered rest, really. They'd eventually get to the land, but there was no rest for their souls. They kept fighting against God. They kept rebelling against Him. They kept breaking the Sabbath. They kept going after other gods. In fact, Hebrews says Joshua led them in, but there's still a rest that needed to be entered. They never got there. They went into exile, and they came back. And you know what happened in Nehemiah's day after the exile? They went right back. He makes them, in Nehemiah 10, commit to keeping the Sabbath. He goes on a business trip, and he comes back, and do you know what they're doing? 
They're breaking the Sabbath. They're forgetting their Creator. They're forgetting their Redeemer. And so Nehemiah stands up and says, bar the doors. And if any of you guys try to get in here, when the doors are barred on the Sabbath, I'm going to lay hands on you. But they just never got there. And they never got there. And they never got there. They could never find rest. But in Jesus, rest found us. And the only way to enter in is by faith. To really, when it comes to working for God's approval, we Sabbath. We cut it out. We cease. We stop. Because it's impossible. You can't work hard enough, long enough, or well enough to enter the rest that God gives. You have to recognize that Jesus has done all of the work for you and trust in Him to save you and you'll find rest for your soul. And then, as one whose soul has found rest in Christ, we take up the rhythm of work and rest and worship not as a slave driver trying to master our bodies, but as the joyful way in which we rest our bodies to glorify God as Creator, recognizing that I am a creature. And we joyfully renew the rest of our souls each week in worship to glorify Jesus as our Redeemer and recognizing that I am the one who needed the redemption. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Let's pray. Father, how we long to glorify You for all that You've done. We thank You for the gift of rest and the gift of worship to rest our bodies and glorify You as Creator, to rest in Christ and be renewed through worship, to glorify You as our Redeemer. We pray, God, that You would give us each wisdom, discernment with regard to how these things work themselves out in our lives. Keep us from making one day a week a day of more, a day of rules and regulations about what we can and cannot do. Keep us from making one day a week only about ourselves. Keep us from making any day only about ourselves. And we ask this so that you will be glorified, so that we will be a holy people, so that it will be peculiar that we prioritize rest for our body and rest for our soul. And then that peculiar nature will actually be a light a light that shines and brings glory to you from a weary and heavy-laden world. We thank you for Jesus.
We thank you that he has done all the work so that we can enjoy Sabbath rest in him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing the doxology to close.